Good morning, Faith Church. Good to see everybody with the beautiful weather, you know? That's Michigan. Great weather, always, right? I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm just happy to be with you. I get to continue our series that we're doing in the book of Acts, Going Deeper. And I can't wait to talk to you about the story we are going to talk about today. But before I begin, I thought it'd be fun to start off with a little bit of fun, okay? Fun? Yeah? No? Two people? Oh, one person. Thank you. Okay, fun. There's a couple more. All right, I'm glad. Because joy of the Lord, okay? Joy of the Lord's in the house. We need to be happy sometimes. So I just thought, uh, I just wanted to know if you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you did. Because for oh, yeah. me, yeah? All right, good. A couple of you, great. Enjoy the food? <laughs> okay, I'm glad. Everything went well. Uh, we uh, actually went to Minnesota, to Minneapolis. My son and uh, his wife uh, lived there in Minneapolis, and he could not get the days off around Thanksgiving, so we decided to go to them, take Thanksgiving to them. My parents, my wife's parents, we all and all our kids joined each other in Minneapolis and had Thanksgiving there. So I just want to say, yesterday, I drove 630-some miles to see you guys. Yeah, <laughs> to see you guys, all right? Now, here's the thing. I say that because as I was driving those miles, my mind goes crazy, and I thought of a couple things. I thought of two questions I'd like to ask you guys up front. While I was driving, I thought of this question, okay? Just bear with me. This is just fun. Did you know the left lane involving a highway is considered the passing lane? Yeah? Anybody? Okay. I didn't know if you guys knew that. I drove through a little bit of Minnesota, a lot of Wisconsin, a little bit of uh, Illinois, a little bit of Indiana, and some Michigan, okay? Nobody knows that <laughs> at all. You know what makes me madder than a hornet? Have you ever heard that phrase, madder than a hornet? <laughs> when you encounter a hornet, it's not going to be good. They're always mad, okay? You know what makes me that mad? When people stay in that left lane, okay? It's made for movement. Let's move, okay? You join me? All right, all right, okay. We'll, we'll play. One more question, one more question, okay? Here it is. Involving Thanksgiving. Turkey or ham? Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Here's the problem. I'm, I, I think I'm a logical person, okay? I think. I have been asked the question, why do you have such a thick skull? I thought that was for protection. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, 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 yes, I have logic, but I also have a little bit of a ditziness too, okay? Here's the logic around turkey and ham for me. I just want to share something from my life. It takes a lot of work, okay? A lot of work to cook a turkey to make sure it tastes good, okay? Ham, the foundation of ham, okay? The foundation of ham is bacon. <laughs> bacon. You know what bacon makes you thirsty for? More bacon. <laughs> I don't know. I heard that somewhere. I don't know. It's all right. But more bacon, okay? So that's the foundation of ham. You can overcook ham and it still be flavorful, okay? Turkey is the place where it's dry, okay? <laughs> there's, this, there's no room unless you, like, fry it. And you've seen those videos. When people fry a turkey, it's always like, oh, used way too much oil. How do you tell? Because there's a grease fire, okay? You don't have a grease fire with ham. You literally put it in the stove or oven, whatever. It comes out close to bacon, okay? <laughs> So, consider this for next Thanksgiving. Bless your family with ham, okay? I'll say this too. If you're a vegetarian in the room, there's tofu, okay? 
here's the thing. Tofu. What would you rather have? Turkey-flavored tofu or ham-flavored tofu? I rest my point, okay? There it is. Case in point. I just thought we'd start off with something fun. So today I get to pick up where we have uh, left off, and that's Acts. I'm teaching on Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. There's a lot happening. We're also looking at the book of Acts through a lens of community. Community. So, as I was working through this passage, I just thought, here's a great story today. It wasn't like last week. I didn't have a bad story. I have a great story, okay? If you missed last week, please check it out. Kirk did a fantastic job with a bad story, okay? This week, we have a good story. But all of this, we're thinking through the lens of community. So, a chapter ago, there was a prayer that was prayed. A prayer that was prayed. And it was this prayer. Oops, I got to do my outline. I forgot. I'm jumping ahead. I always do a look ahead, okay? And it helps me. This is why it's there. It's for me, my benefit, okay? This is where we're headed today. We're headed. I'm going to talk a little bit about boldness, addition, and healing. I'm going to talk about an angel of the Lord, jealousy, a Pharisee. I have worked on pronouncing this guy's name. It just doesn't work for me. So I just think of Gargamel. Anybody a fan of the Smurfs? Okay, Gargamel. God, the Pharisee Gargamel God used, okay? Two questions for community, so what? And two more questions for community. Does that sound fun? Did I pique your interest, especially with the Smurfs? Okay, so here's the prayer they prayed. Acts chapter four, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness boldness. That's what they're praying for. A chapter ago, they prayed for great boldness. I think it's really hard for us, that word. I think we've taken that word so much out of context. We don't know what to do with boldness. Boldness is boldness being right. Is boldness being like the main person that wins, the dictator, the person that has all the answers? What does boldness really look like Well, here's the thing. Acts shows us what boldness looks like. This is the new church, the first church. They gather together, and it takes four chapters, if you want to uh, add a metric to it, but four chapters to get to a point where they're praying for boldness. Well, let's start with chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. This is where we're starting off. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, which is like the temple porch. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. We're talking growth. We're talking addition. So they pray for boldness, and all of a sudden, God adds to their number consistently, and it's been adding to this number, or their number, there's growth. And that's the thing I think we don't realize. The book of Acts, we all want it. We all want growth. We all want positivity. We want to move in a progression, in some, like towards something of purpose, of meaning, of significance. And what happens when that happens is there's all kinds of friction. That's the thing we don't understand and don't really get our minds wrapped around. When there is movement forward, when there is growth, there is also pain. There's also suffering. 
So we need to think about that. When we read the book of Acts, we think about this people group that were growing. It's everything we want. But there's also great pain and evil. In the midst of all that's happening, I want to continue with the passage. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed. That's a tricky word for us as well. What do we do with healing? For every story that I've heard somebody been, has been healed, I also hear another story where people haven't been healed. But for whatever reason, at this time in the book of Acts, there's growth and there's healing. So then what happened? What's, what also is happening? Well, if we continue on, there's this quick little passage right after all of this, all the good stuff. Then we see this. Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Filled with jealousy. If you do a little bit of a word search or word study on this word jealousy, it's fascinating. It actually is very similar to the word zealous. Jealousy and zealousy, if you can say it, zealous. It's also like embedded in this thought or idea around competition. Anybody see the Michigan game yesterday? Boo. (laughs) Here's the thing. I just want to say, we can agree upon this. Ohio State deserves to lose. No? (laughs) I'll just stay there. I am wearing maize and blue just to represent. But I understand it wasn't always, uh, or it wasn't a good day for all of us yesterday. All right? I will say that. But competition, what it does is it consumes us. When we are competing in a game, we are consumed with that game. It takes all of us or it takes everything about us into that game. We're consumed with it. It's the same idea with jealousy. Now, when I was 14 or 15, I was dating a girl. This was, Becca and I have been married. We're going to be celebrating this summer 23 years of marriage. So this is a long time ago, okay? But I was dating someone. And in this time of dating, again, not the brightest person out there, uh, my girlfriend came to me and said, hey, I had, so, she had a bad past and a bad breakup, and she said, I just want to spend the day with my ex to, to reconcile some things. And I thought in a moment, I was like, sure. Didn't think twice, you know, it's whatever. Then it started, I thought about it afterwards. And it was the first time in my life where I was consumed with something. Well, I won't tell you what happened or anything. It wasn't anything bad. I don't even know to this day what actually happened, but they spent the whole day together, and that alone in my thought. It just consumed me. That's what jealousy can do. It can consume us. So we have something that's amazing. We have growth. We have healing. We have addition. We have all kinds of stuff that's happening. And in the midst of that, we have the religious leaders consumed with jealousy. They didn't look at this as saying, praise God, people are being healed. They looked at that as, that's a threat. The system that was being governed at that time was one of power, one of wealth. They didn't want anything to lose in the system. They wanted their system to be the best 
So what happens when another system comes in based in love and people are finding Jesus and are being healed? Well, you stomp it out. You take care of it. And that's kind of where we find ourselves again in this story. So before I start this passage, I have to say this. Because this, this is the fascinating part of the story. All of this is taking place. And so the Sadducees, the Pharisees, go, again, go and take the apostles. And they put them in jail overnight. Here's the crazy thing. I love, I love the Bible in so many different ways. But these are the stories that grip us. At night in jail, an angel of the Lord shows up, releases the apostles, and tells them, go to the temple courts where they were and preach the message of this new life, the resurrection, of how Jesus defeated death. It always comes back to the resurrection. So they do. The Sadducees and the Pharisees wake up in the morning. They go to the jail. They don't find the prisoners. Here's the, here's the weird thing. The jail is in complete, like, it's in order. There's guards. All the doors. You throwing stuff? <laughs> uh, one second. Don't want you to get dehydrated. <laughs> I love participation. <laughs> totally do. Man, I was on a roll. I was killing it. Amen. All right. Now, they go to the jail. It's intact. Guards. Everybody's intact. Guess what? They leave the jail. They go to the, the temple courts, and they find them preaching, the apostles. Not only just them, it's a crowd of people. It's such a large crowd that they didn't know what to do, so they decided to take the apostles quietly because they were scared of what the crowd would do. And they brought them in front of the Sanhedrin. If you can bring that slide back up. Thank you. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. If you remember, this happened before, and they say this again. We gave you strict orders not to teach in, the name, in this name. They didn't even say Jesus. This name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They attack them. They come right at it. You're making us feel guilty. Because of what you're doing with this man's name. What you're doing in Jerusalem, you're stirring all this up, and we feel guilty. Crazy. Well, we continue on. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. If I can just stop here, I'm going to bring this slide back up. But we must obey God rather than human beings. That phrase alone we have used, if I can just say it today, today we have used that phrase with abuse. We have. We've justified evil with that phrase. We have to be careful with that phrase. It's not used for ammunition towards people. It's more like an unspoken thing, an ethos inside of us that we believe in. We believe that we need to please God, not human beings. That is something that is true, but when we use that to people outside, it can become ammunition to justify anything that we do as evil, too. And we can't use it like that. We have to use it for what it's worth. And there's no limit to that phrase. There isn't. 
Because it's God. It's something supernatural. And we need to keep that in the context of what this is being used for. And that is, whenever there is a government system or a system in general that's asking you to not praise Jesus in any way, that's where we should stand up. We should. That's exactly what they were doing in this situation. It was brought to them. When they were brought to the situation and they were asked to do things that they did not believe in, they stood up. It wasn't before any of that. It wasn't coming at or attacking this group. It was when they were brought to that situation, the Holy Spirit put on them this boldness to stand up. And they did. So let's continue reading that, for, that passage. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. So not only is he saying, we are going to please God more than human beings, this is why. This is the statement of the gospel. This is everything in its pinnacle moment of what Peter is saying. And he says, whom you've killed by hanging him on a cross, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. That was Peter's response. Here's the thing. I don't need to add anything to that. That is what they're saying. They're praying for boldness. The Holy Spirit is with them. We see that with proof, with Pentecost. So what we can say or what we can learn by that passage alone, this is the Holy Spirit talking. This is the message. And, and you, the thing with Christianity is it comes down to a message. It is a message to be delivered. So, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gargamel, <laughs> a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. <laughs> Give us a break. We need some air. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. This is Gargamel. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. A ton of wisdom from Gargamel. I call him Gargamel, though, because he's not a Christ follower. He's not. There's no proof, even if you want to look at the historian Josephus, there's no proof to say that Gargamel was a follower of Jesus. I love saying Gargamel. That's really getting to me, okay? I love saying that. Uh, I just think Gargamel, okay? Gargamel. But anyways, he wasn't. But God used him. We will never be able to stop God. 
When we say eternity, we talk about it in salvation, but we also mean to say it eternal, who God is, he will never be stopped. God will not be stopped. Human efforts will. So, a little bit of a summary. Summary so far. God was growing and healing people. The religious leaders were consumed by jealousy. An angel of the Lord released the apostles. God used a Pharisee to release the apostles again. Just a little bit of summary. But I have some questions for community out of that. Two questions. What is consuming you? Are you obeying God or human beings? These are the questions. What is consuming you? When we talk about jealousy, we know jealousy consumes us, but I believe it is evil that can easily consume us. In the midst of something good, in the midst of something bad, whatever the situation is, something can just slip in and consume you, like jealousy. Something can just overtake you, and you can be consumed by it. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to say you're wrong for allowing it to consume you. I just want to say I am sorry what you're battling And you're not alone. Whatever it is, whatever you're being consumed by this morning, whatever is penetrating your thoughts, and it could be jealousy. It could be something about a scenario that you just can't get out of your head. It could be incredible fear. I told you very honestly a couple weeks ago, I suffer from PTSD. This is a season where I have a lot of fear in my life. Not only that, but fear is connected with anger. I can get angry like that. The drivers yesterday, they provoked me. But it can consume me in an instant. I can go to that place. So I have a question. And I feel like this this series has been like, there's a new app called Be Real. My kids got me into it while we were, it's what you do. There's nothing going on, they're going to get you into an app, okay? I don't know. But it's this app called Be Real, and you take a picture, and it's all off a timer. And you have to take it and, and honestly show whatever you're doing. Whether you do it or not, who knows. But it's just this attempt for a picture to be authentic. And I feel like this is what this series has been doing for us. It's allowing these be real moments. And if I can be real, we need to be honest with what's consuming us. I don't think today is a place that's been very easy for Christ followers. It's so confusing. It's confusing alone just to be in the church. If you go out to the political side of things, it's even more confusing. What I see on television, regardless of where you stand, I do not want to be those people. I don't. There's nothing in me that wants to be a political leader and argue with people at all. I have no, no desire. But I do desire freedom. I want to be free from my fear. I want to be free from my anger. I want to be free from anything that's consuming me. John Wesley said years ago, his definition of sin is anything that distracts you from God. Now, I think that can be complete extreme. But when we really think about it, what is distracting you from God? That second question, who are you pleasing, human beings or God? Those are the two questions when we talk about community. When we look at faith church, when we look at our community... If I can be really honest, we have a partnership with Pattengale. We have four or three incredible people that volunteer at that school every week. 
We have put sign-up sheets. We've talked about it. It's our partnership. And we only have three or four people consistently volunteering at a place that is front lines to all kinds of things that are happening. Teachers are leaving. Parents don't know what to do. Kids are all kinds of stressed. And we're asking for volunteers to a partnership. We get three, four people from our community. My question is, what's consuming us? Are we allowing whatever is distracting us to be our consumption? Because we have things to do, important things to do. And we want everyone to be a part of it. We want everybody to enjoy what it looks like to serve. Now, there's times on my day off when I go for popcorn or I try to help out with popcorn or pagel, I don't have the energy or I don't want to go and make popcorn and smell like popcorn oil the rest of the day on my day off, but I've done it. And every time I have, I've come back and God has had to change my heart again. Why does it take me so long to get out of this bitterness and critical side of thinking in order to see these beautiful smiles on these kids because they look at me as someone who's tall because they're small? You know, <laughs> It's so incredible to see their eyes and, and to see the principal and the teachers, and they're like, we're in this together. We need that. So what's consuming you? I'm going to go to the so what. Where do we go from here? How do we land this plane? I left uh, the last two verses out of this story because it's been challenging to me. And I'm going to be honest, another be real moment, if you will. These last verses, they do something to me. I want to read them. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering. They were considered counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Two more questions for community. Have you ever rejoiced over being considered worthy of suffering because of the name of Jesus Christ? How are you proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ? That's what I want to ask our community. And I ask these questions, I ask them of myself as well. Can you put that slide back up again, please? I don't know what to do with those at times, if I can be honest. I don't know what to do. I do not want to suffer. And in my life, the season that I am, there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger. And when I think of suffering, I think of losing. I think of something that's crippling. I think of something that I do not want anything to do with or deal with. I don't want anybody else to suffer. I don't. There's nothing in me that wants anyone or myself to suffer. And yet these apostles, in and out of jail, in front of the Sanhedrin, could be put to death. They were flogged. They were, everything you can imagine happened to them. And they walk out of those rejoicing. I don't get that. That does not make sense. There's something that doesn't compute in my brain or my heart. And I feel like right now the reason it's not commuting is because I have not, again, there's parts of my life not surrendered to Jesus. 
That's what I come face to face with. Every time I come up to preach, every time I'm thinking about this, it's not the fact I want to get this right and I want to make sure I preach all the things and there's no heresy. Forget that. There's heresy the minute you bring up the name of Jesus, if we really want to be honest, because he turned a system upside down. But I want to say up here with boldness, it's time for us to recommit. Will you commit with me this year to be bold for Jesus? I don't know what that looks like, and I'm tired of seeing what the political side is saying about that. That needs to stop. What does the church say? There's so many times the church is always on a response. What if we start the precedence? What if we start it and say, you know what? It's going to change today. I'm going to commit. I want to be bold once again for Jesus. Now, that does not mean you have to do dumb things. What it means is you will have power in the midst of your suffering and other people's suffering. And this power, I think it should be phrased more like, I'm praying that we have the boldness to love others the way Jesus loves us. That's boldness. And so I just want to close with a prayer. I do not care where you're at. I don't care how long you've come to church. I don't care your story, how involved you could be a pastor. I don't care if you're a lay person. I don't care if you taught Sunday school for 25 years. It doesn't matter. All I care is where your heart is right now in this moment. And I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. If you're online, hopefully you're not driving. Close your eyes. Will you close your eyes with me? And I'm just going to ask this. If this year, you're going to draw a line in the sand right now and say, I'm going to commit to being bold for Jesus, whatever that looks like, however it looks, but I am just going to commit, re-up, and say, I want to be bold for Jesus. I'm going to ask you to be bold right now. Would you raise your hand? Will you declare it? Will you take a step and say, you know what? Today, I'm drawing that line. I'm making a decision. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this being so miserable. When there's so many good things that could be happening, would you raise your hand and say, today is a day I want to be bold for you, Jesus. Praise God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just lift this up to you. We're asking your Holy Spirit to show us what that boldness looks like. And sometimes we don't even know, but we just know what it feels like is strength in the midst of despair. It's strength in the midst of whatever's consuming us, trying to take us down once again. And all of a sudden we have strength to move forward. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would give us the power by your Holy Spirit to be bold, to boldly love people the way you have loved us, to boldly communicate a message where you have defeated death. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you. And we just continue to ask and surrender to you that you would lead us, that you would be our Lord. And I ask all this, Father, in Jesus' name.